Starcourt Study Hall contains spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And this is Starcourt Study Hall. We are here at the finale of season three of Stranger Things, the part two of the Battle of Starcourt. The Battle of Starcourt one and a half. (laughs) One and a half. (laughs) Yeah. So we've made it, everyone. We are here. It is the end. I am sad about this because we were so looking forward to getting to season three. And Mm -hmm. now it's ending I know. I know. And we still have our wrap up that we'll do, but it is on to season four somehow. I don't even, (laughs) I can't even. Same. But let's get right into it because we have, again, as always, we just have no time to lose today. So chapter eight, the Battle of Starcourt, as you know from last week, was written by the DBs. It was also directed by the DBs. And for the final time... It aired on July 4th, 2019. Oh, that's the last time we're going to use that date. I know. And just in case you forgot from last week's episode, we're going to just read you the summary from Netflix again. Here we go. Terror breaks out in the food court when the Mind Flayer comes to collect L. Deep beneath them all, the future of the world is at stake. Yeah, that that sums it up. That does about do that. <laughs> no fast facts this chapter. No fast facts. We already did those. We already did those. Go listen to last week's if you really need a refresher on the fast facts. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. Let's get into our scenes. At Starcourt, Billy wakes up and stumbles out of his burning car. Veins blackened and face bloodied, he turns and notices Max, Elle, and Mike escaping the mall through a nearby gate. But the kids quickly spot him. Mike rushes a still-limping L back into the mall, and Max, who is always thinking on her feet, closes the gate using a nearby button. I did a lot of score stuff for this part two of this chapter, and nice. Plank's Constant is a great piece of music, and they use it a lot in this chapter. Really? Yes, it is a good one. I didn't, again, I think I said this already at one point, I didn't appreciate the season three score until we did this, and it is yeah. actually really good. It is. It is. It's, it's, I'd say it's like almost on par with season one. Mm, yeah, it's really good. It's, it's, it's up, up there. My only note was uh, Max does what now? She closes the what? The gate. Yeah, she closes the gate. She does close the gate. Hmm. I just want us to start noticing how black Billy's veins are. They're gradually just getting blacker and blacker. And this is the first time this chapter that we see him in full. And his yeah. veins are quite dark. I yes, think that's important. Mm-hmm. In Nancy's car, Lucas, Nancy, Jonathan, Will, Steve, and Robin are still being chased by the Mind Flayer. All of a sudden, the creature turns around, though, and begins to head back towards Starcourt. Lucas wonders if maybe they wore him out, but Jonathan doesn't think so. He pulls a quick 180, and the gang heads back to the mall, where Billy is now prying open the gate with his bare hands. <laughs> 
Max, L, and Mike, who have retreated further into Starcourt, navigate down a long hallway, the lights flickering around them wildly. So from this angle outside of the rear window of Nancy's station wagon, the mind flare looks bigger than he did through the... Wait. <laughs> we see him pursuing the car, not from the angle of inside her station wagon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks bigger, not from inside the station wagon. Yes, I would agree. Like, he takes up the full width of the road. Which is weird, because you would think kind of having this, like, upward view of him would make him appear larger? Yeah. It must just be, like, a spatial thing, though, because I think of seeing him in the food court, he's in an enclosed space, mm. versus, like, seeing him out in the open. Yeah, He looks that's true. small compared to everything around him, but I mean... He is about as tall as all of these trees. Yeah. Yeah, like in the great outdoors, he looks smaller than in the mall because the he's like in an enclosed mall space versus in the, the outdoors. Right. So it's hard to say, though. Like, I feel like in all of the stuff that I read doing like the VFX project, I feel like it kept being mentioned that he was like 30 feet tall or like three stories tall or something. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know. He doesn't look quite as big as what they described. Also, isn't the mall only two floors? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the, like, he turned out smaller looking than they intended, but... Maybe. We'll give yeah. him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Once again, Jonathan, with the quick thinking, where'd that Turns come it from? around. He just 180s it. He's like, he all right, does. we're just going to turn this car around unless... It's just occurring to them that they abandoned three children at the mall <laughs> with with a, like a, a possessed person and, you know, a skin spider on the loose. But like we mentioned in the last chapter, yeah, they just left Max, L and, and Mike behind and didn't say a word about it. Nope. Bye. Sorry, yeah. bro. <laughs> Literally your brother. <laughs> Literally your brother. And I also just noticed the boxes of fireworks on the roof of the car. Oh, hmm. Yeah. Smart. Very smart. Because I did wonder where they were. But yeah. They are. Doesn't seem like enough of them on, in that context. Like you'd think there would... The amount that they actually end up using. Right. It does look like, like more. Yeah, for sure. I like this whole idea of Max and L, or Max and Mike being the ones left with L. Mm -hmm. Because I think what like it kind of says in the grander scheme of things is that neither of them were incorrect. Yes. Yes. Their, yeah, like their whole debate about Elle and her powers and her autonomy, I don't think either of them were wrong. And I think the fact that they're both the ones who are supporting her limping around, like I think it's just kind of an illustration of that, that both of their perspectives were true at the same time. And I think it's also a great illustration of the fact that she needs both of them. Mm, yeah. And I think that that speaks to like a broader idea also. Like, you know, you can't, be everything to somebody like yes people need and, and like referring to max and mike like they can't be everything to l she needs other people around right yeah that's what it is so good and so yeah. meanwhile in the russian bunker the alarm continues to blare and chaos has ensued russian scientists and guards running every which way <clears throat> joyce and hop finally arrive in the observation room overlooking the giant jet engine like key and Hop demands that all of the remaining scientists leave. Actually, that's putting it gently. Hop wildly fires his machine gun at the ceiling and screams, Everybody out! 
<laughs> now alone, Hop and Joyce stare in horror as the massive laser spins, tearing open the gate right before their eyes. Hop presents Joyce with the briefcase containing the two shutdown keys. Hey, you ready to end this? So Murray pulls, <laughs> turns a lever. Yes. What is he doing? I wrote the same thing. I don't know. I don't is know. Is it like an airlock? Is he opening the room for Hop and Joyce to go in? But like, why? What is the lever that Murray pulls? I wrote, is he just pulling things willy-nilly, hoping <laughs> it'll do something? <laughs> just gonna, just going to pull this and push that. and It doesn't yeah. seem like the worst plan. It doesn't. I feel like you hear when he when he pulls the lever. I feel like you do hear like a release of air. Yeah. And it is timed with Joyce and Hop opening the door to the control room. But I just don't think that's what. Why would the lever? Why would? I don't know. What's he doing? No idea. If anyone knows. Tell us. Yeah. Please let us know. <laughs> let us know, please. <laughs> I have a rant. Okay. Okay. Here's my rant. What was the plan? <laughs> Just in general, were the Russians just going to do what in Hawkins with this? So I understand that the goal was to weaponize the beings in the Upside Down, right? Were they just going to let them loose in Hawkins? Or were they going to, like, use this as an entry into the United States? Like, were they going to traverse the Upside Down and, like, walk all the way to Hawkins as, like, an easy way into the country? Like, the nether in Minecraft. You know, and that theory right there that they were going to, like, walk across was one of the theories that, like, a lot of people said maybe that's what Hop did. <laughs> like, like, he jumped in. back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, he jumped into the gate before the machine exploded. <laughs> but, like, when you think about the chasm between the laser beam, the ladder, and the wall, where mm -hmm. is, what is he, sprouting wings and, like, flying into, there would be no way for him to right. jump into the gate. No, I mean, yeah, obviously, like, now we know that that didn't happen. But, like, yeah, I don't know. Truthfully, I don't I don't know if they knew what was in there. I think maybe they just knew that it was, like, alternate universe shit was happening. And they were like, we want in. You know, you might be right. It might, it might just be very much about scientific advancement. Yeah. Because I don't know. I feel like Brenner's intentions at this point in season one were like pretty clear like yeah although i still think it's a little bit confusing like when he tells l like that it was reaching out to her mm -hmm. right like okay fine maybe he's looking for henry but also did he just stumble upon this shit spying right. for the on the russian but the russians intentions in hawkins i just don't totally understand no i i don't either i mean Obviously, like, I get why Hawkins specifically. Yes. But I don't understand why they're here, try why they're trying to open a gate in the first place. Right. Like, what are you doing? I mean, and like I said, if you're going to weaponize the beings, like, if you're going to, like, domesticate them and train them and raise them as rep weapons, like, that's fine. But you were just going to do that under a mall mm -hmm. in a like, small what, town. What was the end game here? I don't it's it's strange. I don't know why we're only just bringing this up, but that's a question and a rant. Yes. Right. Like pretty much every piece of this story adds up except for the why. That's like the biggest part. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's like okay, we know well we know why they were in Hawkins. We know why you know, we know why they bought up all these properties. We figured all those pieces out. But why the hell were they doing it to begin with? 
Yeah. And ag- again, if it is to weaponize the beings, what 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 purpose does that serve them in Hawkins? I don't know. And I honestly don't know how we've just brought this up now. Nope. We're <laughs> slacking. We are. The only other thing I have is I just want us to sit in a moment or sit with this moment for a minute with Hopper and Joyce who are seeing months of trauma and hard work just destroyed before their eyes watching this gate reopen. Yeah. Like they just, the everything they associate with the gate mm-hmm. and they're just, they walk into the room and they're like, are you for real? I know. Like they, they just have to do this again just do it again and not even a year later and and like the worst part for them is that it's not like like they only have owens on their side basically like yeah the only person with any sort of power that knows what's going on here is Mm -hmm. owens so it's not like they can even like like they're literally facing this alone essentially right and they're like really not qualified no they're just people they're just people (laughs) that's all they are is people yeah Uh, so sad for them what a disaster at the mall mike l and max continue to run from billy they come to an elevator and mike mashes the buttons begging it to work max steps away just as billy comes through the nearby door they're cornered as billy limps toward her max pleads that he doesn't have to do this and she attempts to reason with him by reminding him of his identity billy your name is billy hargrove you live on 4819 cherry lane i'm max i'm your before she can finish Billy backhands her across the face, knocking her out. Mike quickly confronts him, but Billy throws him across the room. In a last-ditch effort to ward him off, Elle tries to use her powers, but Billy grabs a hold of her face and slams her head into the nearby wall. He lifts a now-unconscious Elle up off the floor, throws her over his shoulder, and begins to carry her away. It's so sad to see Max try to reason with him. Mm -hmm. Like, especially knowing about their relationship and i do think max is like the driving force behind us as viewers understanding billy as a complex character yeah right because like without her perspective he really just doesn't seem like he's worth a blink right that's so true like yeah his personhood is very tied to her feelings about him i think yeah and then like we talked about it in part one the carelessness that billy is even treated with here and I think how everybody made a point to make sure that Will was exercised and, like, nobody mm-hmm. gave a shit if Billy was. Right. But I do think it's interesting to think of the difference between how the flaying manifested in a 12-year-old boy versus an 18-year-old man. hmm Like, Billy is a violent, strong person versus Will who can only harm... Will could not have flayed a town you know what i mean mm-hmm. but billy had the brute strength and the charm and the looks mm-hmm. to be successful in this mission yeah will could only be destructive for the mind flayer via like mind games essentially right yeah i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> he's just looking off in the distance i'm sorry <laughs> yeah i kind of said the same thing about max though like it's this scene is a very tough watch for me Mm. because i really feel for max in the position that she's in right now like she knows that basically her brother is gone he's trapped in there and he probably has to die yeah but she loves him still deep down i think and she doesn't want that for him but yeah it has to happen it does and 
I think like in season four, there's like this polarizing concept when you're someone like Max who was in an abusive relationship where you just for your own safety wish the person dead. Mm -hmm. But when push comes to shove, despite Billy being abusive toward Max, she doesn't want him to die. Even if in moments she's maybe been like, my life would be easier without this asshole. She doesn't want him to die. That's the hard thing. And I, I think also it comes from the fact that Max understands that this is not his fault. It's not him mm. that's doing this. He is also a victim here. He is. Yeah. Like, if yeah. it was him, here's a thought experiment. Like, if it was him doing this stuff, and maybe he was under the influence of, like, a gang, let's say. Yeah. That's instead a of a su- Yeah, instead of a supernatural form, like, a supernatural threat. What if he was under the influence of, like, just a really persuasive person? Do you think mm. Max would feel the same way? I mean, it depends on, I guess, the persuasion. Like, how persuaded are you? Are you, like, in a cult persuaded? True. Are you brainwashed? Are you groomed? Because then it's like, at what point does your culpability end and mm. the cult leader's culpability begin? Because even that's tough. Like... Who was the girl with stuff? Patty Hearst. It was Patty Hearst. Oh, I think I listened to a podcast about her. Yeah. So Patty Hearst was. Yes. I remember this now. Yeah. She's one of like the most famous victims of Stockholm syndrome Mm -hmm. where she was kidnapped. And then during her captivity, like turned on her family, adopted a new name, joined them in like bank robbing heists, Mm -hmm. like just to adapt to, I guess, having been kidnapped. So like. Back to your question, if it depends on the the level here of mm-hmm. how like influenced are you by a person versus a mind flare, and also like you know there's other mitigating factors like addiction and things like that yeah. here, yeah, that that could change it. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, Max knows that this is not her brother, and she wants better for him. Yeah, and I mean, essentially, Billy was minding his own business, right? For the most part, I mean maybe he was like home wrecking a bit sure but that's not a crime it's unfortunately not a crime (laughs) it's not cool but it's not a crime (laughs) the only other thing i have here is just that l trying to use her powers and failing i want to mention that this is not just a new experience for her but also for us yeah like she's essentially been untouchable up until this point and i think the incorporation of this into the ending of the season was such a good cliffhanger to leave us on yeah like it was just like something that almost needed to happen she needed to be stripped of these abilities because you know we'll definitely get more into it in season four but like her entire identity has been built around these abilities and her entire self-worth has been built around these abilities so i Mm -hmm. think it was necessary yeah agreed underground hop and joyce are preparing to shut down the machine Hop radios Murray to ask him if he's ready. Murray confirms, but relays he's got some company that he needs Hop to obliterate. Hop and Joyce each insert their respective keys, and Hop begins to count to three. Just as they're about to turn them, Grigori appears behind Hop. He seizes Hop by the neck and throws him to the floor. Joyce spots a discarded gun and attempts to grab it, but Grigori is too fast. He lifts her up, also by the neck, and flings her into the control panel. Grigori begins to radio his fellow guards that he has located the Americans, but Hop jumps up and tackles him before he can finish his sentence. 
The two begin to fight it out, exchanging punch after punch. Seeing Hop and Joyce silhouetted against the reds and the yellows of the key and the gate really reminds me of Hop and L descending into the rift mm. in the gate in season two when they're all so silhouetted. Yeah, that's a good one. Good Beautiful catch. shot. It is. Joyce gets thrown so freaking hard. And then she just gets up. Yeah. I mean, like, it like, oh, takes her a minute, but. A lot of these hits, I notice, are like, these look life ending. <laughs> You like mean a lot like, of them. You mean like landing a plane in the Russian tundra and yes. suffering no injuries? Yep. Okay. Also, why did they leave the gun across the room? Was why, that Hop's why? gun? I don't know. Maybe it wasn't, but... Who else would I, have had a gun? Right. And I mean, I guess some of the guards who were in there previously, maybe, but like one of them must have had a gun on their person hop or joyce yeah well hop did he fired it when he got in there and said everybody yeah. out so did so he I, then drop the gun to insert I, he must have put it on the ground i feel like he did yeah yeah that just seems really dumb there was no like sling like a gun sling there literally was like a there was yeah there was like a, a little strap on it yeah i don't know it's a good question it seems like a stupid move it does i can't help but wonder if they hadn't counted down if hop hadn't been like on three yeah what if we just did like on two on one but like i know that maybe you need like a little bit of headway yeah because like i don't know what would happen if you only turned one like if it was like a millisecond yeah but now if they had just turned the keys off on two or one that would have been it it would have hop wouldn't have quote unquote died billy wouldn't have maybe wouldn't have died how wouldn't have billy died um because Billy was still alive by the time they were oh, doing right, this. right, right. But yeah. at the second that they closed the gate, wouldn't that have killed him? I don't know. I guess we don't really know if the Mind Flayer would have just left him or not. Yeah, like, that makes me think, like, what would have happened to Will if they closed the gate? Like, would he have been okay? Maybe. They didn't seem to think so. They no, they to didn't. They think that he would die if they closed the gate with the Mind Flayer still in him. I guess it depended on how much, like... At that point, the Mind Flayer had pretty much taken over his entire brain. So maybe that's why. But like, I mean, yeah, with Billy, it was kind of the same case. So I don't know. What percentage of Mind Flayer are you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh. I only have one more thing. And it's just to point out that we get back-to-back scenes reminding us of humans as threats, Billy and Grigori. Mm. Um, Because... You know, not only are our characters always dealing with the supernatural nonsense, but they're also always battling their fellow characters. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this sort of brings us back a little bit to that Vecna versus the Mind Flayer debate, because as we already said, it just depends on what you find more terrifying. Yeah. You know, and maybe that is what kind of makes Vecna scary, even though like I'm not personally afraid of Vecna. He's a hybrid. Yeah. He's like a human mutant supernatural being he's not just one or the Mm -hmm. other yeah like i don't find vecna scary to look at i think what he does is very (laughs) scary yeah i do think the mental torment is pretty bad yeah meanwhile billy carries an unconscious 11 through the back halls of starcourt mall finally exiting into the food court via a darkened scoops ahoy l awakens just as billy gently lays her down he kneels beside her and leans in whispering don't be afraid. It'll all be over soon. Just try and stay very still. 
yeah. my eyes are rolling far back into my skull. <laughs> L looks up, vision blurry as the mind flayer again descends into the mall through the shattered glass ceiling. Billy rises and stands before him, and the mind flayer snarls and comes into focus, L gasping in terror. So much goodness mm-hmm. here, but all, like like horrible goodness. <laughs> but the darkened scoops ahoy was such a brilliant choice. Yeah. Because I just keep thinking of the star court that we were shown for the first half of this season and how it has just been utterly transformed into like a place of nightmares. Mm-hmm. And I think this really leans into that underutilized horror trope of like nowhere is safe. Mm. Like, you know, when you're watching a horror movie and it's like daytime in the movie and you just feel like temporarily safe. You're like, yes. right, nothing can pop out at me now. Yeah. Nothing bad can happen. The sun is out. The lights are on. The lights are on. Well, this doing this to the mall and making Scoops Ahoy like the entry point, it just shits all over the nothing bad can happen here vibe that we started out with in this yeah. mall. It turns Starcourt into like a haunted house. Literally. It's a, it's a horror show. Yeah. So good. So good to watch him walk through and you see like the blue pinstripes. Yeah, but it's all like dulled and dark and, and flickery. Yeah. I had to wonder if that's really Dacre carrying Millie. Hmm. I tried Googling it, didn't find anything. Kind of want to say yes, though. I think so. Why not? Probably. Yeah. He seems pretty strong. Yeah. And then speaking of that, we have to talk about how, you know, him carrying L out mm. of the scoops ahoy and into the food court is very similar to holly jolly in season one when we get that flashback of l being thrown into that cell and then she kills the guards and then brenner's all like incredible and then <laughs> and then he carries her in the same way that billy is carrying her mm-hmm. it's like delivering her literally yeah like a package what i was about to say was i just feel like the fact that she's like picked up and put down and picked up and put down it's just like she's an object she's just like Mm -hmm. placed here and placed there and never of her free will wow that's such a great symbol like even in season four doesn't it happen again yeah i think he does carry her again at some point he carries her back in when Mm -hmm. she's trying to leave yes that's right he does he carries her back into the the nina place put that thing back where it came from (laughs) or so help me (laughs) My last thing is kind of silly, but I thought we needed it. Behind Billy and Elle, there is a big sign at the Gap, and it just says, Guys, gals, kids, Levi's. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the four genders. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of the bumper sticker that you showed me today. <laughs> I break for yarn.com. <laughs> With a you- spool of yarn. <laughs> the website is in the road? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. What are you breaking for? Yarn.com. <laughs> My only thing to final to the the last part is <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and final last. My final last part is <laughs> that the piece of score playing as the mind flare descends upon eleven is the trees are moving. Hmm. Hmm. Trees. <laughs> the mind flayer screeches and hisses, and a 
fleshy tentacle protrudes from its mouth as it bares its teeth to Billy and Elle. All of a sudden, fireworks begin to go off in an explosion of colors as Lucas, Will, Nancy, Jonathan, Steve, and Robin hurl them from the second floor of the food court. Flay this, you ugly piece of shit! (laughs) I love it. The Mind Flayer roars and writhes in protest as fireworks rain down around him, Billy doing the same with each and every hit. It's a hive mind. In Billy's moment of weakness, Elle attempts to escape, but he quickly catches on and drags her by the ankle back toward the Mind Flayer. This is just another visually amazing scene with Mm -hmm. all three pairs, like, throwing these fireworks off of the balcony and we have all the greens and the yellows and the blues and the purples and then we get the you you sent it to me today the pan like the really quick pan where you see the silhouette of billy and l yes and like l is on her back and billy is over her and kind of gripping her shoulders and it looks like he's shaking her Mm -hmm. and the mind flare in the background it's amazing i know i i get i literally wrote i get chills watching this too and i think I got this takeaway this time. Like, I, it uh-huh. never really hit me so much. Watching them all work together as a team to save Elle mm. is really incredible, too. Like, it never sunk in for me the first time, but the gang is saving Elle instead of the other way around. Yeah, that is so true. Yes. Like, it's they like have returned the favor. Yeah, they've teamed up to save her life mm-hmm. instead of her doing, you know, doing it for them. Yeah, and especially at this moment of weakness that she's having. Right. Like, they've stepped in when she couldn't do it. Yeah. It's so true. It's a good point. Does Vecna feel the fireworks? Or? I don't know. If he if he exists yet. <laughs> sure. What do, you, what do you mean? If if the Duffer Brothers had thought of him yet at this point, yeah, he feels it. Just f- stay very still. It I will know. be over. I know. Ugh. Okay, but let's all, let's all just take a minute. To recognize the fact that they wrote this before they wrote Vecna, and they could have been like, you know, it would be super cool if we had Vecna say what Billy said. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it they proves could have, nothing. It doesn't. It doesn't prove anything. It proves not not a thing. Yeah. Just we just we want to know: Does Vecna feel the fireworks or not? Yeah. No, I don't know. I yeah. I mean, theoretically, he should. Yes, as per the hive mind. Mm-hmm. At L. it's my citation my bibliography yes i only have like one or two other things i wonder if claudia or anyone's parents are wondering where their kids have been for the past like 36 hours at this point like they were at the cabin and they were at the holloways and dustin was in a base underground is anybody worried about anybody no (laughs) no i just i can't keep track of them these days they're just all over who knows they were at max's and then they were at lucas's (laughs) so clueless corroborating these stories erica is underground as well she's not available to cover for lucas no nor is lucas available to cover for erica in Nobody's fact, I, available anywhere. I don't even think Lucas knew Erica was there until they all met up again. So true. Nancy's yeah. not available to cover for Mike. Yeah. All the, like, literally all of their children are missing and no one has said a word. Nope. Nobody cares. Nope. Well, they can't. The chief of police is busy too. <laughs> true. Who are they going to call? Ghostbusters. Not, not, not uh, Callahan and Powell, <laughs> that's for sure. 
Who are you going to call? The police? (laughs) Exactly. In the bunker, Grigori and Hop continue their fight, gradually making their way out of the control room. Grigori throws Hop down the metal stairs, but Hop rises, spitting blood from his mouth. Now standing directly next to the giant key, Hop puts his fists up, signaling to Grigori that their fight isn't over. The two exchange several more punches as they inch closer and closer to the machine. Back in the control room, Joyce regains consciousness and looks up to see Hopper and Grigori's brawl. Before long, Grigori gains the upper hand and he flips Hop onto his back with his head and face landing dangerously close to the spinning key. Joyce continues to watch as Grigori plants his boot right on Hop's neck. It's so funny to me that the Russians are down yonder and they have no idea about the mind flare on the surface. They have no clue. Not a damn clue what the hell is going on up there that is their fault. Yeah. They have no clue that they have unleashed that. Not, not, a, not a clue. The piece of the mind flare. I mean, we know that he was just vibing, right? He In left Russia? Will. and No, oh. he left Will at the end of season two and then like floated off into the air. Yeah. And we assume he was just like dormant in Brimborn Steelworks. Yeah. The piece that lands on, that hits Billy's car right at the beginning mm-hmm. that's like a mind flare that's like a fleshy a fleshy yeah. bit Maybe. yeah did that just like crawl out of the gate <laughs> underneath Starcore and then like somehow make its way up to the surface no i'm thinking it was like the rats made it like it, the like the mind flare had all the rats come and he melted them and <laughs> put out an ad on craigslist yeah. <laughs> rats needed <laughs> Rats smoke, wanted. S- smoke sec- man requires rats. <laughs> Secret project. More details to come. <laughs> Meet us at Brimborn Steelworks. Wait, rats can't read. How are they reading this ad? So true. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I I'm guessing the rats like made up the, the the fleshy thing that hit Billy's car. That's my guess. The rats were just summoned. <clears throat> yeah, the rats were summoned. So no tiny little little guy came up out of the gate and... I don't think so. All right. So didn't Joyce have time in your eyes to shoot Grigori? There was a gun in mm. there in that room mm. with her mm-hmm. and she was just watching. Mm. Just watching. Mm-hmm. She was watching because it is so similar to the Empire Strikes Back when yeah. Luke is hanging out on the metal rig and Darth Vader <laughs> is, I am your fathering him. Joyce was just blown away by the similarities of the scenes that she was frozen she loves the theater she does and she loves star wars so that's why she didn't do the very obvious thing and just shoot gregory with the gun that she almost just grabbed yeah she right she went it's not like she's afraid to use it she went to go grab it when gregory first came in there oh my god what a what a what a frustrating thing i know at Starcourt, the group on the upper level are quickly running out of fireworks. Steve urgently ra- radios Dustin to tell him that they are officially out of time. Dustin proceeds to convey to Joyce that they must close the gate now. In the bunker, Joyce rigs up her waistband, extending her reach and making it possible for her to turn both shutdown keys. Meanwhile, a very bruised Max finally wakes up to realize that Mike is still passed out. She manages to rouse him and Mike quickly realizes that Elle is missing. Joyce just like elastigirling herself between these two keys. <laughs> I know. Like, did did her arms like grow? So what I was like deducing was happening here is that she turned one key and then just tied the belt to it so it stayed down because I'm guessing it like you need to apply pressure to keep it turned. 
and okay. that's why she was like pulling the belt. Okay. And then she was reaching for the other key while holding the belt to keep okay. it turned. Thank you. That makes sense. So you're saying that you're theoretically able to turn one key at a time, but if you mm-hmm. do, it just bounces the one back. So if you don't right. turn, okay, I got it. That, That's that my guess. Sense. I like that. Thank you. Yeah, that I accept. I also just love this. I mean, you know, it's scary and sad. I love this scene though between Mike and Max. Like, it's just a quiet little scene, and we don't see a lot of te- like care and tenderness between mm-hmm. these two. Mm-hmm. And. I, I kind of love to see it. Like, despite the circumstances, I I, I kind of liked watching Max, like, help Mike up and, like, wake him up and make sure he's okay. Yeah. It was nice. It is nice. And I also think it speaks to the bigger picture of, I hate to say this, but, like, what could be without L? And I'm yeah. not romanticizing Max and Mike. That's not what I'm doing. But just, like, these all, everything could be. And like we talked about in our Malevin episode that like Mike can never have everything all at the same time, but yeah. mostly in the context of Will and L. Mm. But I do think like it is nice to see just Max and Mike. And the last time we saw just them was in season two when she's on her skateboard and she's oh, yeah. going around and around. Yeah. And, and Eleven did not like that. Didn't. No. I like that. That's just them too. Yeah. Very sweet. Mm-hmm. In the food court, the Mind Flayer continues to thrash. Billy, who has placed Elle on her back again before the Mind Flayer, leans over her. He winces with each firework thrown. Elle looks up at Billy's pain-stricken face and begins to recall the memories that he showed her. His parents arguing. His father introducing him to Max. His mother on the beach in her white dress. A giddy young Billy telling her that the waves were at least seven feet. Elle cries and begins to describe Billy's memory to him, which seems to disarm him. His face fills with knowing as Elle speaks. You ran to her on the beach. There were seagulls. She wore a hat with a blue ribbon, a long dress with a blue and red flower, yellow sandals covered in sand. She was pretty. As Elle describes his mother, Billy closes his eyes and begins to cry. She was really pretty, and you you were happy. Billy nods gently, and Elle reaches up to brush his cheek. He closes his eyes at her touch. Sad. I know. I like all the background noise goes quiet yes and the only thing that we hear besides l talking is seven feet off of the season three score oh did you notice his veins start to unblacken yeah he just gets more and more not covered in black veins as l speaks to him Mm-hmm. i also like that it's this version of billy that gets through to him like, Max tried the Billy Hargrove 4819 Cherry Lane to reach mm-hmm. Billy, but what reaches Billy is reminding him of this part of him and not his current self. Yeah. It's like he feels so much more of a connection to his child self than himself now. Yeah. And it's a cool contrast when you when you think of what should fuel, like, a person's power. So, like, with Kali, it was anger and rage mm. and malice and l uses love and she i feel like billy like his power in this scene because it's not supernatural power necessarily like when i say what fuels your power but like Mm -hmm. i feel like billy's able to break free of this curse from like a a a love perspective and not like recalling that angry billy Hmm. that's such a great point but Hmm. also like l kind of is speaking to his inner child i feel like yeah when he like nods really small when he says when she says that his mom was pretty 
And I feel like the fact that Elle can heal someone else's inner child, needing her inner child to be healed Mm -hmm. still, I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes those are the best people to do that for you because they understand the feeling. Yeah. Plus, like, the concept of the inner child is a very Freudian concept. It is. Yeah. Yeah. He cries when she mentions his mom, which is also... I mean, not quite Freudian, but, you know, moms are involved. No, yeah, I think it's the Karen plot line coming full circle. Like, it's weird to see, but Billy's pursuit of Karen really was his inner child. And all that happened, because he's an adult, Mm. is that he he sexualized it. Like, he didn't come at it from an innocent child need. He came at it from an adult sexual need. True. Yeah. There's just so much happening here. This also, like... Just in this conversation, I thought of this, but I think it's really good here that we get this point illustrated that even though Elle doesn't have her powers anymore, she still has a power. Mm. She she breaks through to him, mm-hmm. and that is powerful. Like, yeah. And she does that without having superpowers at all. So yeah, that's, that's true. It's pretty amazing that we get to see that, like, I mean, like, I wish it sunk into her more in mm-hmm. that moment but we see as the viewer that you know which we know all along that she she is not her power she is much more than that and she is able to illustrate that to us even though she doesn't quite believe it yet yeah and i like how you mentioned that she doesn't realize what she accomplished here but like we can recognize that watching yeah. her reach out to him and him really like responding and i think too like the power lies in Granted, she wasn't able to save his life. Yeah. But I think the power also lies in healing him before he had to die. Yeah. Like, she let him die with happy memories and Mm. feeling like he... Well, we didn't get to it yet, but, like, feeling like he's done something good. Yeah. Hmm. I also think we spoke about how, like, was Billy an intentional target? And we kind of determined no. Yeah. But, like, who better... Yeah. Then someone with a slew of unresolved trauma. Yeah. And someone whose unresolved trauma manifests angrily and violently. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect target. Like a very like a very Vecna target. I just had a thought. Oh no. Those can I be just good or bad. Those can it, be good or bad. I'm nervous. It might be both. Okay. So who else has a lot of unresolved trauma and anger that might be a good target for Vecna? That we've met before only once. But maybe not a target, but a potential ally. Kali. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I, when you were saying all that, that he's like kind of a good target to, to hone his power, mm-hmm. that made me think of Kali and how she would actually probably be a great asset to Henry. Yeah. Because she hates those people in the lab as much as he does. Yeah, and she would buy it. She would, and she lives on, like, the outskirts of society, so she obviously doesn't really care too much about human life. She lives in a society. <laughs> but it's yeah. the, it's the po- that's the point. Like, she yeah. also does not respect, conform yeah. the norms of society. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see if that is something they explore. Yeah. This is reminding me a little bit of the whole, like crit hit 20 plus 
yeah. eight. That whole deal, 20 plus eight. 11 <laughs> plus eight plus one equals yeah. 20. Crit hit. Crit hit well, for the Mind Flayer, yeah. Yeah, and when I was watching this, they make this, like, emphasis of, like, the seven feet. And I went back really randomly, totally by chance, to rewatch the very first scene of The Vanishing of Will Byers. And the role that Will rolled the Demogorgon it got me was a seven. And I was like, is there a seven thing happening here? Maybe. Yeah, it's just sevens. Hmm. Seven feet, seven numbers. Se- uh, it takes place in the month of July. Seven. The seventh month. The seventh month. This is, this is shit that Taylor Swift fans do. Yeah, yeah, it is one of them. <laughs> what does it mean? What does it mean? It means absolutely nothing, but we are going to make it mean something. <laughs> Back in the Russian facility, Hop remains pinned dangerously close to the key by Grigori, and Joyce is stretched out between the two shutdown keys. All of a sudden, Hop grabs Grigori by the ankles and twists, freeing himself. He promptly rises and grabs Grigori, smashing his head into one of the spinning components of the machine. The men exchange a few more punches before Hop grabs Grigori by the shoulders and throws him into the the key, quickly killing him. I'll see you in hell. The key begins to malfunction, spinning wildly and emitting dozens of bolts of electricity. I paused for fun right as Grigori was thrown into the machine. It's kind of funny. I did too. Yeah, it's very splatty. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like parts. (laughs) Splatty. Splatty. Yeah. The only thing that I have other than what I just said is that I just realized what happens here and why Hop can't escape mm-hmm. because the electricity is conducted by the metal rigging and the staircase. So he physically cannot retreat back to the control room, even though he would have had time. Yeah. But the electrical would've. current that was just spinning and spinning was blocking him. It made like a force field. Yeah, it did. And that, that you know, just realized that now only took... <laughs> months and years but hasn't fine. it been fun to watch season three for the first time with marina <laughs> <laughs> was this scene always here <laughs> oh my god it's such a yeah it's bad <laughs> i don't know i just didn't process a lot there's so much going on there is it's a really jam-packed season there's a this lot is, happening uh the season one was so simple it was and then season two it started to get a little bit more convoluted and then we reach maximum convolution in season three i don't even know if that's a word convolution yeah that feels like a word i don't know it is now back at starcourt nancy and lucas throw the last two fireworks off the balcony toward the mind flayer billy and l watch as the mind flayer gains his composure the barrage of fireworks finally coming to an end Max and Mike arrive on the scene just as Billy rises and steps between the Mind Flayer and Eleven. Elle inches back as the monster roars and once again bears its hundreds of teeth, knowing that the tentacle is coming right for her. The Mind Flayer launches its tentacle toward Elle, but Billy intercepts it with his fists. As he struggles to protect Eleven and hold the tentacle off, Max watches in horror. Billy screams and the Mind Flayer releases several more of its tentacles, which begin their onslaught, impaling Billy in various places on his body. He has not one blackened vein anymore. Mm, I didn't notice that. He's just totally himself. Yeah. Mm. All the stuff that I wrote here actually should probably go after he actually dies. Okay. So I'll save it. The song playing in this scene and the next scene is actually not a Michael and Kyle composition. It sounds like one. It's a called. It, it's a called. It's, it's a, a called. So- <laughs> it's, it's a me. A called. <laughs> 
All right. <laughs> it's a song called Dirge by oh. Survive. Yeah. 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 Well, then it is kind of a, a, a Dixon and Stein. Yeah, I guess so. But there's another guy in Survive. Some dude. Yeah. But that's awesome. I like that they use like the band's music yeah. in the show. I also hate to see that the Mind Flayer is so cruel mm-hmm. because he only exists because of Billy. Without Billy, he would not be. Right. And when it comes down to it, Billy is disposable. Yep. He's just in the way. He's a tool that has no more durability and it's just time to get rid of him. Yep. Pretty much. I, I pretty much wrote that too. Like, why does the Mind Flayer kill Billy? But I, yeah, I guess it's just he he was no longer useful for him. He served his purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mind Flayer pretty, calms. Pretty sad. Meanwhile, Dustin continues to scream at Joyce over the radio to close the gate. Joyce manages to stretch enough to secure both shutdown keys as several Russian men descend upon the room with the gate. She looks up through through the glass at Hopper, who is still standing next to the key. The two exchange a meaningful glance, knowing what must be done. She has been managing to stretch enough to secure both shutdown keys for like the last 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) She's she's been stretched just waiting for something for like days on end. (laughs) I know. I know. I think she just, she really thought Hop was going to be able to get out of there, I think. If if you pause, I didn't write the timestamp, but mm-hmm. we do get a very clear shot of the ladder. Yes, we do. And you can see Hop standing there. Yep. It's a beautiful shot. I think I put it today on the Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the one that I grabbed of the key yes. all zoomed out, right? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, it's a great shot. But yes, you can see the ladder and you can see Hop standing there. It's subtle, but he, he's there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And key being the ladder. Not- yeah, he being the ladder, not Hop. Yeah. The ladder is actually the American this whole time. Yes. <laughs> At the same time, the Mind Flayer continues to impale Billy, who is propped up before him, arms spread wide in surrender. Blood pours from Billy's mouth, and he screams in pain. The Mind Flayer deals one final blow, piercing Billy right through the middle of his chest, and Max screams Billy's name as she watches. The monster releases Billy from his grasp, and his body collapses to the floor. So... Do you view this as a sacrifice? Yes. I never did. What did you view it as? I I never viewed it as an intentional sacrifice. I okay. do think that Billy was trying to protect Elle mm. just because that's the right thing to do. And also, I think in his brain, he realized that he was the cause of this, like when he came back mm. online, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think he did so knowing or thinking that this creature would kill him. Hmm. I feel like he just assumed it would buy them time and that the sure. Mind Flayer was here for L, not him. So I, I, it's hard for me to imagine that he went into this like thinking he was going to die. I, I don't know. It, it felt like he maybe like did this with some sort of intention of redemption or forgiveness, mm. but more like I'm going to protect them as much as I can. It's the least I can do. Yeah. Versus like I am going to die so she doesn't have to. Because truthfully, if you gave it any thought at all, Mm-hmm. If he's going to kill you, then what would stop him from killing her right after? So why why sacrifice yourself? I don't know. But yeah. that's that's just always been my thought. Like, I never viewed that as a sacrifice. 
No, I get it. I guess it depends on like how you define sacrifice. Like does sacrifice imply intent? Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if there's two ways to look at it. Like that if you, if you believe that sacrifice is a conscious choice, then yeah, I don't know. I would struggle with that. Like, was this a conscious sacrifice? Yeah. I don't know. But was it maybe like a happenstance or like an accidental sacrifice because if he hadn't stood in the way the timing wouldn't have been there that that would have been l so he Mm -hmm. does kind of sacrifice himself if not intentionally accidentally for l yeah but yeah i can appreciate both sides like it just depends i think on how you define sacrifice right like you know i can't say it wasn't a sacrifice it definitely was Mm -hmm. but i don't know if he intended for it to end that way yeah no i definitely see that i get that and also like well i don't know it's hard to say because he doesn't i don't know like does he know what he's looking at does he know or did he just wake up in the mall with this gigantic thing looking at him i mean he knows he was looking at it before he came to he knows what he's done but does he remember did Will not remember anything from being played? I don't know. I don't remember now. <laughs> Imagine you just wake up and it's like, oh, what the fuck is that thing? The hell is that? <laughs> Why am I in the mall? <laughs> it's like all the people from the hospital, the old yeah. people, they went to the mall. <laughs> Billy, why am I at the mall? How did I get to the mall? Yeah, that is interesting. I wonder how, like, how cognizant he is. Because if he wasn't cognizant, like, would his first instinct have been to defend or would it have been to run like oh, right and he would run <laughs> he must oh. have known yeah he must have known what he was looking at it at the very least that's very true because i feel like he would have reacted differently if he was like completely not aware of anything he probably yeah. would have grabbed l and and started running bolted right yeah <laughs> which is kind is of that? it's kind of cute to think about so i think (laughs) okay seeing billy in this view of him with all of the tentacles coming out of his body when he's got his arms splayed out it really just reminds me of vecna plugged into his attic with all of the tentacles coming out of him Mm -hmm. and i had asked you and i had said like does this to you read more as the mind flayer as the puppet or vecna as the puppet because if you put if if we do a logic equation and you say Vecna is to Billy as the mind flayer is to the tentacles in the attic of the Creel house, Vecna's the puppet. Mm. Just like in this scene, Billy is very clearly the puppet. Yeah. He's got the strings. It's very like marionette imagery. Mm-hmm. So to me, this says Vecna's a puppet. Yeah. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. I could buy that. Thank you. No problem. It's for sale. <laughs> just the last point we just this is like very christ-like like we do have the the splayed arms the crucifixion pose we can we would be remiss to not mention that it also kind of like it's definitely giving like christ but Mm -hmm. like it doesn't quite remind me of the crucifixion pose it almost Mm. reminds me of when like i don't know maybe you know better there's there's some time when he's just like being carried like limp you know like limp Mm. and i can't remember what it was but that's what it reminds me of because he he more goes like limp like he doesn't really have his arms outstretched it's more like back here Yeah. yeah i don't know underground the massive machine continues to spin 
A bloodied Hopper nods to Joyce, signaling her to turn the keys. Tears well in her eyes, and Hop smiles at her one last time. She begins to cry, closes her eyes, and turns both keys. The giant engine begins to fail, bolts of electricity fill the chamber, and the key explodes, vaporizing the Russian scientists and presumably anyone else in the vicinity. Presumably. Against the far wall, the giant fissure begins to seal itself. The gate is closed. I love how they give us a moment where the screen goes completely black. Yeah. That's very action movie. It is. And then we also get another wide shot, and Hop is not in this one. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think we're meant to understand that he dipped, wasn't vaporized. Unless you're me. (laughs) Unless you're Amanda. And I was fully a Hopper is dead truther. And I was wrong. You were wrong, but that's okay. I was. Okay, but like, how was he not vaporized, though? Because those scientists that were like behind the machine Mm. were fully vaporized. Uh, It's, uh, he was lower. Yeah, I guess like, it was kind of like behind like a giant wall. Like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe he did like video game characters do where they can like slide down the ladder like really, really fast. (laughs) Yeah. So he just, like, slid down the ladder. And the explosion just happened and, like, just sailed over his head. Exactly. That's exactly it. (laughs) Yes. Nailed it. Science. (laughs) How is this control room built that Joyce sustains? Yes. Not one injury. Alexi, nobody who is standing in the control room in the very beginning of season three sustains any injuries. This control room must be made of something amazing. It's got to be, like lead lined and like like they would use in like an x-ray and and i bet you the glass is like four inches thick or something like yeah it's it's probably pretty locked down in there but i thought the same thing that it's kind of amazing that you can look through like Mm -hmm. glass basically Mm -hmm. and watch this happen with no danger nope this is so like rawly acted by winona and -hmm. david too Winona just looks like people having real reactions to things. She always does. You know, it's something I I, I noticed in this scene. And like, this is not to reduce an actress to her looks in any way. But like, she has skin texture. You can see her skin texture in that scene. And it just like, it made me happy to see that. Like, she's she just looks like a normal person. She does. Which really sells what we were talking about earlier. Like, these are just people, like, doing they are. this. They're just people. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really loved that scene. I loved the close-up on her face and her, mm-hmm. her facial expressions and David's face, facial expressions. Amazing. You can even see, like, her lips, like, crease, like, in such a way. It's just so good. It really, yeah. They're incredible. I feel like if they didn't get Winona Ryder as, like, the lead in this show, it would not be what it was. No, definitely not. She was necessary. I think, you know, depending on how we're looking at things, this is sort of a joint sacrifice for Elle from a Hopper and a Billy perspective. Mm. They both more or less die, quote, unquote, for Elle. Yeah, which I was going to bring that up in the next scene. Well, in a different way, but yeah. Yeah. Good segue. Cut off from the upside down, the Mind Flayer begins to screech and flail. Nancy, Jonathan, Robin, Steve, Will, and Lucas watch as the monster collapses, surrounded by destruction and flame. Mike runs to Elle and the two embrace as Max follows closely behind. She approaches her brother, who is gasping for breath. Max urges Billy to get up, repeatedly saying his name. 
He glances at her and tells her that he's sorry before releasing one final exhale. Max begins to sob as Elle holds her. The song playing throughout these next very upsetting scenes is called Aftermath, and it is off the score, and it is probably the saddest Mm. composition that we get. Sadder than eulogy? Sadder than eulogy. Wow, sadder than eulogy. That's pretty sad. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty sad. On on kind of a funny note, I always think that when they show the dead mind flayer, like amongst the rubble, he looks super fake. He does. And I also love the like one final gurgle that we get out of him. I kind of feel bad. (laughs) I don't, I feel sad. He's dead. He is. He is a dead boy. He is made of melted people, but that's okay. (laughs) He's a, he's a dead, he's dead. And it sucks, like, to see something so... He's just a doofus. Like, to see him, like, so strong and big, and then all of a sudden he's just dead because someone closed a door. Like... What a doofus. Come on, man. (laughs) Beef up. (laughs) That's a phrase. I always have to wonder how Elle must feel after this also. Like, do you think Max feels resentment toward Elle over Hmm. Billy's death? Do you think that Elle feels guilty about Billy's death? I don't know. That's a really good question. I never thought of that. Because, yeah, Elle doesn't really indicate that feeling in any way. Yeah, so I I don't know. I could see Max harboring some resentment, but Max doesn't even mention Elle in season four. She doesn't even talk about missing her. Like, they became best friends, and, and she just moves across the country, and Max never mentions her. Yeah, that is true. But Max is like a harborer. Mm-hmm. She's like a, a, she bottles. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I think that's a really valid question. Like, what does Elle feel? Does Max resent her? I mean, Elle does, like, I love how Elle asks Max if she's okay, which, like, mm-hmm. is perfectly warranted. But, like, Elle comforting Max, what have you just gone through, Elle? And you're asking Max, like, she doesn't have to do that, you know? No. No. And, and, I, I love Ma- just Elle saying, like, it's going to be okay over and over. Because that's really all she can say. Yeah. That's all she can do. Yeah. And, like, Mike kind of conceding to this moment between a- Elle and Max, too. Mm-hmm. And also, I love that Max and Billy got this, like, moment where he yeah. got to apologize. Yeah. It's very it's a very loaded sorry. It it is. It, it means everything from like mm-hmm. that first scene that we get of them in season 2 when she gets out of the car and she slams the door and then like when he grabs her wrist in the car and speeds up like it's it's all of that. It's all of that. It's yeah. All of it. Yeah. Like I think that this experience unfortunately he had to come to near death/death slash death to realize that he has been manifesting his bottled up shitty emotions in a super shitty way yep yeah so it's sad but at least max gets a teensy tiny bit of closure an itty bit safe from the explosion joyce looks up to see an empty chamber the place where hop stood reduced to smoke and ash the machine sparks and joyce descends the steps she begins to cry realizing that hop couldn't have possibly survived murray suddenly appears behind her asking where jim is but joyce sobs in response as Russian guards arrive on the scene, Murray and Joyce make a run for it. Jim, where's Jim? He's the only one who calls him Jim. I know. 
I think this is where Joyce and Murray's relationship really just like solidifies itself. Yeah, I I talked about that too. I said I loved watching Murray and Joyce hold hands and run. Mm -hmm. Yes. It, It made me emotional because I'm I'm happy that for Joyce in Hop's quote unquote death that Murray continued to be there for her and became a, a support for her. Yeah, and like even in the next couple scenes when they come up out of the vent and, and Murray's like, American, we're Americans when the military descends upon the base, like he's he's like pulling the emotional mm-hmm. baggage for Joyce here. Like Joyce can't even No. She doesn't even know what's going on and Murray has to be the one to be like hands up like we're we're american like it's just you really see murray step up to the plate here with joyce yeah yeah that makes me really happy for joyce that she has someone to help her like throughout all of these events if starting from season one joyce just like desperately needed support in in Mm -hmm. many ways Mm -hmm. and she does find that in hopper and now she has murray yeah it's a beautiful relationship it is on the hill with Cerebro, Dustin, and Erica watch in awe as the sky fills with military helicopters, which are all heading in the direction of Starcourt Mall. The copters descend upon a rainy Hawkins, and Sam Owens disembarks. Finally, the United States military makes their way into the Russian bunker, finding Joyce and Murray crawling out of the vent in the floor. The two quickly put their hands up, and Murray informs them that they are Americans. Please don't shoot! As the U.S. troops comb the facility, Owens locates the gate, which continues to glow despite being closed. I have a lot of questions here, but I just want to f- say that this is just a, be- an, a like a beautiful shot of the mm-hmm. helicopters flying across the sky, and then you watch them land, w- and we see the mall with like the very red upside downy glow behind the neon sign. And it's yeah. just it's a great shot again. Again, right? They really were bringing it with this chapter. It's very haunting. I am. 99% certain that when the helicopters are landing, you can see, in the distance, an LED gas station sign, which I don't think existed in 1985. <laughs> and um, in in full, like, Starcourt Study Hall fashion, I wound up on an extremely weird website. Oh, no. Called ledcraftinc.com. <laughs> Sounds made up. <laughs> it looked made up. Okay. <laughs> The whole website looked yeah. made up. But I could not find a clear answer anywhere. I, I tried Googling when did LED gas station signs begin being used. I tried every iteration of this phrase. Okay. The only remotely like on topic thing I could find was on this stupid website. Oh my god. And I still found no answer. Oh my god. Yeah. Where did everyone go in the bunker? Yeah, right? They must have had like escape pods or something. Get like to where? Right, they're they're like a thousand feet underground. What, what are, where are they go? Where did they go? This, I don't was, know. this place was crawling with guards and scientists, hundreds and doctor. Where did everybody go? Don't know, don't know, and we never get an answer for this. Nope. Like I'm, I just I don't know where everybody went. No, me either. They must have had some sort of like escape pods, or I don't know. Another bunker somewhere that led to another elevator. I mean, unless all of the houses were connected to mm. this and they all went and then, like, perhaps came up out of the houses. But like, how do you explain, like, an onslaught of Russians in Hawkins? Like, where did all these people come from? Somebody all coming out of one on a bus? Like, what is like this? A clown five, car. 500 <laughs> Russians walking out of a house in rural Indiana. Nothing to see here. <laughs> Nothing is wrong. Uh, yeah. Don't I you, don't know. Don't, 
Don't you just love the shot of Owens like staring at the gate? Yes. Yes. That was my other note. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> His. F- oh my gosh. He says so much in just that one glance. I know. He looks like a pissed off dad. Yes. I would not b- want to be on the receiving end of that look. No. He's like, but you he- just wait till your mother gets home, you <laughs> stupid gate. <laughs> but he's like, I feel like it conveys concern, mm. a- like anger. Mm hmm sadness like here we fucking go again (laughs) yeah literally yeah that's it that's it it's a lot in one look also it it took him like too fucking long to get here but antique chariot tried to rush them or wheelbarrow that's that's because they're using an antique chariot and a wheelbarrow to get from here to there like it takes so long to decide on a helicopter of course gotta get the right one Outside, the Starcourt Mall sign shines neon against a backdrop of flame and smoke. The fire department arrives on the scene as Joyce and Mary are escorted to safety by the military. Joyce looks around for her children in a panic before she spots Will, who is sitting covered with a blanket in the back of an ambulance. The two run to each other and embrace, both of them sobbing. Just then, Elle emerges, bandaged up and clearly searching for Hopper. She and Joyce lock eyes and Elle quickly realizes that Hopper didn't make it out. As Joyce and Will continue to hug, Elle begins to weep. I just have a question before we get to the sadness. <laughs> so I understand that the U.S. military is likely in on what actually occurred here by this point. Mm-hmm. But didn't the regular old Hawkins Fire Department go inside the mall and wouldn't they have seen the corpse of a giant skin spider? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the like military people cleaned it up for, how did they get cleaned that out it up. how does one clean that up <laughs> like what how did they, they dispose of this corpse? they set it on fire they set it on fire they fucking set it on fire that's where the mall fire Everybody came from died in a mall. guys well. welcome to our first watch through <laughs> of season three it literally never ever oh. occurred to me that they set it on fire purposely to burn the corpse of this creature because I was always like, where the hell did the fire come from? <laughs> wow. I'm an idiot. <laughs> no, no. We are idiots. We are idiots. <laughs> they, they cremated him. Yeah. They cremated the mind flare. Because I, I got that idea because I was about to joke and say, they must have just remelted the people. They did. Oh my God. The people are twice melted. <laughs> twice melted human (laughs) yikes wow everyone we figured it we solved the case of the missing lifeguard again this is why you have to do podcasts because you realize things you solve mysteries this is wild wow they cremated the corpse of the mind flayer doesn't answer my original question what did the good old hawkins pt fire department think when they went in there and saw that but that's the mall fire that is the mall fire they set the place on fire Wow, everybody else knew this and we're the dummies. We are. Because, okay, like in my brain, I was like, okay, like the fireworks definitely were causing some fires, but I didn't think it was anything they couldn't just put out or anything that would have killed 32 people. And I mean, the 32 people were all the melted people. Right. So that's why I was confused about what fire killed all these people, supposedly. They fucking cremated the mind flare. Wow. We are so dumb. (laughs) Well, Henry. One of his his next of kin. Oh my god. His <laughs> next of kin. <laughs> the last will and testament of the mind flayer. The last will. Oh no, I leave the he entirety has... of my dimension to Henry Creel. 
my whole dimension. <laughs> That's why Henry is now the big bad because the mind flayer willed him the upside down. He inherited down. it in he the inher- death. <laughs> Guys, come on. What wow. is even this? What is even this? <laughs> wow. Anyway, <laughs> but speaking of sadness, this scene always makes me like tear up for so many reasons. Yeah. And one of them is that Joyce tells Elle with her eyes that her father is dead and then continues standing there in the middle of the parking lot, <laughs> hugging her very much alive son and letting Elle cry by herself in the rain. I know. Like, wh- I noticed that. Like, why is she being forced to reconcile this right. information? Like, Will is good. I'm good. Elle is not good. Maybe I should step <laughs> away and hug the mourning child. Yeah. Especially Ugh. considering she goes on to, like, adopt her. For sure. Yeah. I would like to perform a roll call. Okay. So when Joyce is scanning the parking lot, we see the following groups. Lucas, Robin, and Max to the left of the ambulance that Will is in. Max and Robin are sharing a stretcher, which is actually very cute. Hmm. And Lucas is standing next to them with a blanket over his shoulders. Then you have Jonathan, Nancy, and Will sharing the middle ambulance. And Mike sitting in the ambulance off to the right, which is where Elle walks into the, the scene from. To the mm. right. She walks in from the right. But then once Will starts running at Joyce, you see Steve, who also has a blanket over his shoulders, walk from the right of the shot where Mike is sitting over to the ambulance that Nancy and Jonathan are sharing. So oh. Steve goes and like mingles with Nancy and Jonathan. <laughs> hey, guys, what's going on in this ambulance? How's it going, guys? What's been what's been up? You guys watching anything good? (laughs) It's all about cheating on me. How's that go? (laughs) I see you guys are still together. That's great. Relationship going strong. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And I just had to say, you can see how much taller Noah is than Winona in this scene. Oh, yeah. And it's like he already has to kind of like hover Mm -hmm. downward to hug her. And uh, I think he keeps getting taller. I love the choice in this scene to, I mean, we can see all the other players if we look closely for them, but the three main people that we're dealing with here are Elle, Will, and Joyce. And that just kind of feels like the beginning and the end, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, this is all about Joyce and Will and Elle at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah, it is. And I like that. That's the focus of this little moment. It's their story. It is. Three months later, an incredibly cringeworthy newscast is playing. Hawkins, Indiana, a wonderful place to raise your family and walk your dog. But wait, on July 4th, tragedy struck when Starcourt Mall burned to the ground, killing 30 citizens, including police chief Jim Hopper. This isn't the first time tragedy has struck the small town, though. Bizarre deaths, government cover-ups, chemical leaks. Is it all connected? Can a town be cursed? Is it Satanists? Is Klein really just a swine? The report continues, showing various news articles, B-roll of the town, and images of Barb, Bob, and Hawkins National Lab. Finally- Fuck Billy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? Finally, the newscaster wraps up. To find out, tune in tonight at 8 p.m. for Horror in the Heartland on Cutting Edge. So it's October 4th, three months later, right? Yes. Okay. This is like a Halloween- horror in the heartland like is that what we're doing here yeah seasonal the chemical leak written in creepster font (laughs) is my fave (laughs) is that actually the font i believe it is it's like the dripping green goo font i love it creepster (laughs) 
so I isolated all of these newspaper articles. Hooray! So we're going to read them. Okay. So the first one is by Megan Hamilton. Smoke rose for what seemed like miles into the gray sky last Sunday when a deadly fire blanketed the Starcourt Mall's west entrance. Locals gathered behind yellow caution tape peering over the army of police and fire response vehicles scattered across the parking lot. Starcourt, a once bustling new mall for this small town, is gone and with it the town of Hawkins's respect for local government. It's been a rough two years for Hawkins. First the disappearance of that little boy, and now this, says local townsperson Dean Zimmerman. Thanks, Dean, <laughs> for that very insightful quote. <laughs> I love the first the disappearance of that little boy, and now this. There's Catch up, Dean. A lot has happened between those two things. Honestly, Mr. Zimmerman. Dean, what are you doing? I also have a gripe. Okay. So according to the calendar, just the calendar, okay, mm-hmm. July 4th, 1985 was a Thursday. Okay. But this article says it was a Sunday. Oh. Now, why were they accurate about senior bingo night being on Wednesday, July 10th, <laughs> but inaccurate about July 4th being on a Thursday? Arguably a much more important date in this season. Someone was like, check for July 10th at Senior Bingo Night, but nobody was like, check for Independence Day. <laughs> no, uh, not important. Not, nothing like Senior Bingo Night. Come on. It's so true. <laughs> Onward. By Kristen Marr. Mm-hmm. Flames scarred the newly built Starcourt Mall July 4th weekend. As fi- It wasn't a weekend. <laughs> as firefighters scrambled to put out the blaze, at least 30 bodies have since been uncovered after the fire. The Hawkins fire chief, Nick Schumacher, reported, Upon pulling up, we determined the fire classification to be a Class E, involving live electrical conduits. Luckily, the mall was closed when the fire first started, sometime in the middle of the night. We are still investigating potential causes. As of now, our focus is on securing the area. When pressed further, Chief Schumacher responded about the cause of the blaze. We have not yet determined the source of the fire. More investigation time will be needed to uncover the real cause. Our team is proceeding with extreme caution. Okay. But that also does not explain, if it was the middle of the night, what were all those people doing there? They were on a field trip. Of course. It is course. truly such a plot hole. Like, what I were know. all these people, 30 people just vibing at the mall? I know. On Independence Day evening. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> like, maybe they all got out of Back to the Future and then, like, just didn't leave? Oh, yeah. Well, the, yeah, the movies were open. That's true. But those so people I... who were at the movies aren't the dead people. Right. They obviously left, so... All the people who were dead are random Adams and Davids and Mrs. Driscoll's. Yeah, th- this is just such a major plot hole for me. It's huge. Okay. Hero Chief Dies in Fire. Hmm. Hawkins mourns the loss of Police Chief Jim Hopper, who perished in the line of duty on July 4th in the Starcourt Mall fire, which claimed the lives of at least 30 others. He was a good man. He will be greatly missed, says Deputy Phil Callahan. There's no doubt in my mind that he was doing the right thing and attempting to save someone in that fire. To Mm. me, he will always be a hero. Chief Hopper, a decorated veteran of the Vietnam War and graduate of Hawkins High School, quickly became a beloved fixture of the town. That's so nice. And then then Callahan is quoted as saying, 
You show him a bunch of nonsense, he'd turn it into the Mona Lisa or something. <laughs> I just don't know what that means. What does that mean? Like, he he was such a good investigator that he could, like, make something out of nothing, essentially? Maybe? I don't know. Imagining don't that know. Callahan came up with that on his own is really hard to believe. He totally didn't. He, like, put it into, like, a quote generator, like, what to say when someone dies. Chat GPT. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> I have one more article. Cool. Sparks ignite a statewide scandal starting in small town Hawkins, Indiana, where a mall, a mayor, and a power supply were turned upside down. Mm. Local officials are calling the Hawkins scandal one of the biggest in state history, marking dozens dead and millions of dollars lost in the tragic Starcourt Mall fire and linking it to a once notable Mayor Klein. Authorities have weighed in on an apparent attempt to disguise city funds through shell corporations hidden within Hawkins' newly built Starcourt Mall. The majority of these allegations stem from a corrupt Mayor Klein who has declined to comment. Okay, so... Klein's a swine. Klein is indeed a swine. And there's also that image of him getting arrested. Yes. He gets arrested, and that never clicked for me. Doesn't that feel prophetic? Who have we compared Klein to this entire time? A swine. But, like, also Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Who's oh, also yeah. a swine. But, you know. Yep. yep. We love that. Arrested. Trump's a stump. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what a good rhyme. Love it. Um, I also love that this little, like, news clip kind of sets us up for the societal shift in the town mm, mm-hmm. in season four. Like, there's definitely a major shaking up after this incident. Mm-hmm. Pe- people are on edge. Yeah. And uh, we also get a mention of Satan. We do. Yeah. And nice D&D. setup. Yes. Yeah. It was a nice setup, for sure. It was. My neighbor is playing piano right now, and I can hear okay. it so clearly in my headphones. So if you're listening out there and you hear light piano in the background, just know you're not losing it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Steve and Robin pull up outside a family video, both having applied for new jobs. As part of their job interview, Keith asks Robin her three favorite movies, The Apartment, Hidden Fortress, and Children of Paradise. Now it's Steve's turn. Animal House, uh, Star Wars, the one with the teddy bears. Oh, and also that one that just came out with the DeLorean and Alex P. Keaton, who tries to bang his mom. You know, that one. Keith rolls his eyes at Steve and tells Robin she's hired. Steve isn't so lucky, though. In an attempt to land Steve this job, Robin convinces St- Robin convinces Keith that all of the hot girls in Hawkins will come in to rent movies just to see Steve. He's a total chick magnet, and Steve can't handle them all by himself. He'll need Keith's help, of course. As Steve trips over a cardboard cutout of Phoebe Cates from Fast Times, Keith sighs. Fine. He's hired. All I really have to say is that all of Robin's movie selections are from before she was born. Really? (laughs) Yeah. The Apartment came out in 1960, Hidden Fortress came out in 58, and Children of Paradise came out in 45. Wow. Yeah. I thought that was cool. What do you... She... When when was she born? Like, 68? 67? Yeah, about, right? Yeah, probably somewhere around there. Um, I just... Maya is channeling her mother in this scene mm-hmm. so i just see uma thurman uma. so much yeah very much scene. they both look good and they're both in different outfits than they've Bio. been in this whole season it's so refreshing to see them dressed differently yeah. finally in tight pants it's great <laughs> i just have to say why is robin speaking about them being in high school in the past tense oh yeah they're it, still in high school is she not going into her senior year well 
Steve's not in high school anymore. So he's not currently okay bullying them anymore <laughs> fair enough okay all right at the buyers jonathan and nancy load a mattress into a u-haul while max lucas and dustin help pack up the buyer's belongings inside max and lucas sing the theme from the never-ending story to dustin and dustin stares at them unamused by their mockery they beg for him to sing it again just one verse but dustin tells them that his rendition is reserved for Susie's ears only Max and Lucas start to jokingly sing again, and Dustin flips them off. It's weird to see Max in good spirits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Three months after Billy died, and then we see how deep into a hole she falls by March of 1986. I know. I know. Which is, like, we do get a little bit of her at the end here, mm-hmm. kind of, like, reminiscing, but I do think that, like, the the you know her her stepdad leaving, which was mm-hmm. probably, honestly, probably a blessing for her. But a then blessing. her mom's subsequent spiral has probably influenced her yeah feelings a lot True. more a lot yeah. changed i guess mm-hmm. i like that they know all the words i know they've clearly listened to this they have <laughs> they've probably made a point too they're like in order for us to mock dust and we yeah. need to make sure we know all the words to this song and we we, we can't like it we're hate listening exactly exactly <laughs> do you think the christmas lights made the move yeah probably okay like a sentiment sentiment you never know when your son is going to need them to communicate with you again so gotta gotta bring them along you can never know in the other room will puts his copy of DD into a donation box shocking mike will explains that they can just use mike's copy when will comes to visit but mike asks what will will do if he wants to join another party will assures mike that that simply isn't possible and the two exchange smiles so i am not a biler truther i'm just not (laughs) I'm so sorry. I just don't subscribe to everyone's dismay. Same. Um, But I do love a good conspiracy theory. (laughs) (laughs) And the blue phone on the yellow wall Mm. behind Will in this scene and that whole blue meets yellow in the West shenanigans. Just want to point that out. It's a good theory. I'm also not a Byler truther in any way, but I, I, I like the theory. I do too. It's a good one. I can appreciate it for sure. Yeah. I'm just picturing Joyce, like, in California, and Will is like, Mom, I, I donated my D&D, but, like, I want to play. And she's like, we don't have the money for this. <laughs> why did you Why did what you get rid you of that? go and do that for, young man? <laughs> it's so true. It is a weird choice on Will's part. But, like, who's he going to play with? I know. Poor Will. I guess he's, like, not imagining he's going to be making very many friends. True, and... From what we can see, he doesn't. Yeah, he's right about that. Jonathan and Nancy stand in the doorway of Jonathan's now empty bedroom. He reminisces 17 years of his life packed up in one day. Nancy walks up to him and hugs him from behind. What if I just don't let you go? Jonathan teases her, saying that the new owners would kick them out. She has a better idea, though. Jonathan could just live in the Wheeler's basement. They could hide him in a tent, like Elle. Nancy gets emotional as the two hold hands and touch foreheads. Jonathan lifts their hands, placing the scars on their palms side by side. As a wise man once said, we've got shared trauma, so what's a little more? The two kiss, both of them teary-eyed. I think we would be remiss if we didn't shit on the wiki. Yes. Which, right? Yes. Which explicitly states that these two are ending their relationship in the scene. Um, I just don't see it that way. To me, this is just them conceding to the reality of a long-distance relationship. Yeah, they definitely don't break up. 
no like they're just like they're hopeful they're a little bit like nervous but they're hopeful and they're like you know we can take this is like a we can take on anything attitude what's Mm -hmm. a little more you know that's what i got from it not the wiki who wrote that i don't know if you're out there i'm looking at you edit it fix (laughs) it this is just one of my favorite scenes between these two also yeah it's so raw and personal and i feel like we don't get a lot of that from them mm-hmm. and i we also get to see like charlie and natalia shine as their relation like they have great chemistry obviously because they're dating mm-hmm. and yeah. it's really nice to see that in the show because i feel like we don't get a lot of like super tender moments between them just because they're always kind of busy <laughs> <laughs> occupied <laughs> they're they're a little occupied so yeah. i i really like this scene and i think they've come so far since the scene at murray's like we watched that like unbridled passion between like two young teens and it's kind of transformed into this mature adult relationship and i just feel like no matter what the fate of jancy i just appreciate the time that they spent together and i think it was very necessary for them Mm -hmm. to grow as people to be together agreed yeah i need an edit of a shrunken Jonathan standing in Elle's tent from season one. <laughs> Tiny Jonathan. Yeah, like, not his, like, I need a standing Jonathan made small. Yeah. And cut out and put in the tent. I love that. That's right. I know, I, I, try, I, I liked picturing him climbing in that thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Same. As Elle packs up her bedroom at the buyers, she tries but fails to use her powers to reach a teddy bear that is high up in her closet. Side note. It just occurred to me that she's been staying there for all these months. For three months. She's been living with them. Do they have another bedroom we didn't know about? Maybe she's bunking with Will. I don't know. It did kind of look like Will's room. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. She sighs in frustration as Mike appears. He assures her that her powers will come back, and he reaches up to grab the teddy bear for her. Mike makes sure that Elle has packed her walkie because he's definitely going to steal Cerebro from Dustin to call her. The two chuckle, and Elle checks in to make sure that Mike spoke to his mom about coming for Thanksgiving. (laughs) I don't know what just happened. Also, Mike wants Elle and and Will to come for Christmas. The conversation turns awkward and Elle starts to leave, Mike cringing at himself. Before Elle walks out, she turns to Mike and asks him if he remembers that day at the cabin when he professed his feelings for her. He feigns ignorance, though, and asks Elle to remind him what he said. The first I love you plays as Elle tells Mike that she loves him, too. Why is this so awkward? It is, it's like they're not dating. I don't understand what's happening here. Yeah, like, what have they been doing for the last three months? Right? And in three months, neither one of them has said this? Yeah, like, nobody's brought it up at all. And Mike was about to tell her. So, like, Mm -hmm. what changed? I know. Why wouldn't he, after going through this life-threatening, near-death situation with her, be like, you know what? I need to say this to her. He had three months he did have three months and he was gonna tell her and like it does kind of appear i guess you could maybe make the argument that he's like tell me what i said you know like like maybe he's like being smooth about it yeah it doesn't it doesn't come off that way it doesn't it comes off like he's afraid to admit it yeah and it's just it's do you hear that that? no was there a dog it's my dog screaming oh great um it's just yeah it's bizarre to watch him like not be willing to confess his feelings but then he like baits her into confessing her feel i don't know it's a weird moment i like it but it's weird it is weird it's definitely weird and what happened to this energy from mike he's like yeah like you know i'm gonna go there for thanksgiving and you're gonna come here for christmas like 
I don't know. What happened to this energy, Michael? It's like tangibles versus intangibles. Like he can he can deal in the tangibles, but in the intangibles, it's like he can't function in them. It's weird. It is weird. Michael. Michael. In her room, Joyce folds Hopper's police chief shirt. In the pocket, she finds a folded up piece of paper with stay calm heart to heart written across (laughs) the top. Elle appears behind her and asks Joyce what she's doing. It's the speech that Hop wrote for her and Mike. You know, the heart to heart. Elle looks confused and Joyce realizes that the big old dummy never actually had the heart to heart. Joyce scoffs and Elle asks if she can read it. I love how the blue pen is Joyce's handwriting and the black pen is Hop's handwriting. I didn't notice that. Yeah, the blue pen is what they rehearsed at Melvold's and then the black pen is what we actually hear Hopper say. Wow. Yeah, because Hop took over and wrote. Yeah. The only thing I had for this scene was that Joyce is by herself, and she's the only one. She is. Who's doing this alone. She's completely alone now. Hmm. Besides Murray, but he's, it's not the same. No. I just love watching her realize that Hop never did what no. he said he did. <laughs> she's like, oh my god, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> Elle settles in, laying on the floor, to read Hopper's speech. We see a flashback of Hopper pacing in his cabin, rehearsing what he's going to say. He settles in with a pen and begins to write. In the present, we see the kids outside of the buyer's house, exchanging goodbye hugs and tears. Hop's voice overlaid. Feelings. For so long, I'd forgotten what those were. I've been stuck in one place, in a cave, you might say. A deep, dark cave. Joyce watches the kids say goodbye, and Hopper calls Elle coming into his life. He left some egos in the woods, and for the first time in a long time, he started to feel things again. He started to feel happy. Mike, Nancy, Justin, Lucas, and Max watch as the buyers drive away. Hop goes on to say that lately he's been feeling distant from Elle, like she's pulling away. We see his cabin destroyed and in shambles, and we see the kids ride away from the buyers on their bikes, Mike lingering for a moment. In the passenger seat of Jonathan's car, Will begins to cry, and at the wheelers, Mike hugs Karen. We see Dustin and Lucas bring Erica Will's copy of D&D as Hopper urges Elle to keep on growing up, kid. As we see Elle sob still on the floor in the buyer's house, Hop finishes his speech to her. But please, if you don't mind, for the sake of your poor old dad, keep the door open three inches. Uh, The somber piano song that we are all crying to right now (laughs) is called Deep, and it's by Peter Sandberg. Beautiful. Yeah. When they pan over the damaged cabin, that really got mm. me for some reason. It was like, mm-hmm. I think it's because it was like Elle's safe place for a while. Yeah. And she finally had a home and, and a place where she felt safe. And now that's taken away. Yeah. And like, as we're seeing that, he's saying, I miss playing board games every night. Mm-hmm. And you see the boxes of board games covered in like the dust and the rubble. And then... When he says making triple decker ego extravaganzas at sunrise, we get this like beam of light through the ceiling of his cabin. Yeah. Because that's the hole that the mind flayer made in his roof. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me, I mentioned this in some season episode, I don't know, but the light coming through the cabin yeah. with like the dust particles floating in the mm-hmm. air, it reminds me of season two after L destroys the cabin herself in her tantrum and we see the light kind of come through onto hopper in that same way Mm -hmm. and then we also get this light when we see l 
in the front seat of the U-Haul truck, right? Mm-hmm. And you see the light shining on her face from the window, and then you see Max sitting alone in her bedroom and the light shining in through her blinds. And it's like you get them both back to back of just this light shining. It's actually Billy's bedroom. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. She's sitting in Billy's bedroom. Yeah, you can tell because the the bed is in a different place. There's different yeah. posters. Like El, uh, Max's room has like that pretty wicker headboard, and we don't we don't see that. So she's sitting and reminiscing in Billy's room. And to think that I just said that she seems to be taking this lightly. <laughs> well, I, no, but like I mentioned that too. But like I, you know that she was kind of having this contemplative moment. Mm-hmm. But. I think overall, her mom's decline probably really sent her spiraling. Yeah. Yeah. Because she is a bottler, but, but you know, it comes to a point where it's just impossible. Mm-hmm. I like watching all of the goodbyes. So we see Joyce hug Nancy, which is really cute. Hmm. Then we see Will say goodbye to Max, and then he hugs Mike, and then Max and Elle hug, and then Will and Lucas hug, and then we see Will hug Dustin... And then Joyce hugs Dustin, Aww. which I thought was really cute. And then Dustin and Will hug again, and Mike and Elle share, like, a very emotional hug. Like oh, yeah. They're, like, weeping at into each other's arms. Like, it's yes. really um, very emotional. Um, and then finally, someone hugs Jonathan, and it's Nancy. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, Will... Will's crying in the car really got mm-hmm. me. Like, he's just, he's, like, hysterical. Yeah, and Jonathan, like, looks over at him. Mm. It reminds me a lot of season four. Like, like Jonathan knows his brother, like, he knows so well. There's something deeper going on here. Yeah. And he just doesn't say anything. And Dustin and Lucas giving Erica D&D, and she's still got the rainbow on her door. Yeah a rainbow room Yikes. and then dustin gets on his knees to give it to her like he's like knighting her yeah he's bequeathing just, it he is he's bequeathing it i love that did you notice that hop references caves twice he says he was in a cave and then he says l that means you're out of that cave yeah and i just thought it was interesting that he uses that word twice once in relation to himself and then once in relation to l yeah It's a metaphorical versus a literal cave. Yes. Yeah. Also, when you see Mike walk into his house to hug Karen, Hopper says, maybe that's why I came back in here to stop that change, to turn back the clock. Mm, To do what? (laughs) To turn it back. Turn it back. Yeah. We've been having some discussion in our Discord about whether time travel will be introduced in season four. And we talked about the scene in season four where we see a young henry and it looks like he is closing his eyes in front of a clock and causing the like the hands to go backwards yeah so that's interesting i also love this whole idea of like hopper just wanting to hang on tighter and not letting go and like resisting the change and it's just very much like will clinging Mm. to his childhood that we see a lot of in the beginning of this season just wanting to resist that change and just a lot of the same themes And you can understand Hopper's need to want to hang on because he lost his daughter once and he's Mm -hmm. so scared of that happening again. Yeah, for sure. It's a beautiful speech. It is. Full of wisdom. It is. As Peter Gabriel's Heroes begins to play, Joyce checks on a crying L. She asks Joyce if it's time for them to leave, clutching Hop's letter in her hands. 
Joyce confirms, and Elle tucks the piece of paper into the pocket of her flannel. We watch as Elle carries the last box outside to the U-Haul, handing it to Jonathan, who latches it closed. Inside, Joyce takes one final look around her home. She takes a deep breath and closes the door. I just need to remind us all that the last time we heard this song was at the end of Holly Jolly, when they find Will's body in the quarry. I literally wrote, someone punch me in the face next time Heroes plays, and I still think the person is dead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Um, Also, a side note, that U-Haul is packed horribly. That stuff is going to fly around. Yeah, very inefficient. Another side note, when I moved a few years ago, we had the U-Haul that's just like one step lower than that, Mm -hmm. filled to the brim. And we didn't have furniture. It was just with shit yeah, boxes? Yeah, just oh my with God. our stuff. So it's, it's, I don't consider myself, like, you know, I have a lot of stuff, fine. But I don't yeah. think I'm like a hoarder or anything. Joyce's thing is very empty. She probably threw away all of it because it just was like trauma. She True. was like, I can't look at any of this stuff. Get rid of it now. Fair. Honestly, right? I would just be like, you know what? Forget the U-Haul. We're starting yeah. over. All of her stuff had tape residue on it because she taped a bunch of maps to all over her walls and furniture <laughs> and it just sort of glue on everything. She had to start fresh. Yeah. As the credits roll, a faint wind begins to blow and snow begins to fall. Ominous synth music plays. And we are transported to Kamchatka, Russia. Inside of a massive fortified structure, two Russian prison guards make their way down a rusty, decrepit hallway. One of the guards approaches a door, but the second one objects and gestures to the further door. No, not the American. The two guards enter the other cell, which contains a Russian prisoner. They pull him from the chamber as he screams in protest, and they proceed to drag him down a winding staircase. At the bottom, the guards throw the prisoner into another cell and slam the gate, locking him in. The prisoner begs the guards to free him, but they ignore all of his pleas, instead using a crank to open a small compartment inside of the cell. All of a sudden, a fully grown Demogorgon emerges from the compartment. The prisoner, who is trapped in the cell with the monster, stares in horror as the Demogorgon rises to full height and screeches, bearing all of his beautiful, flowery teeth. Beautiful creature coming back to us. Mm -hmm. Good callback to season one. Good note to end on, I think. Oh, yeah. He has fog. Mm -hmm. When they open the door, fog rolls out. (laughs) Why do they make fog? Demogorgon's come with a fog machine they obviously trans- they yes they they each have one yeah like i don't know what what it is but every single iteration of this creature comes with fog <laughs> <laughs> they're just smoky i don't know no that's the mind flare <laughs> you're right i'm really sorry to do this but the song that plays I as know. the guard drags the prisoner <laughs> from the cell is called not chinese food i know I literally looked it up because I was like, this is a banger. Where else do we hear this? I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Not Chinese food. (laughs) Who did this? Who's responsible? (laughs) But it is quite a banger. It is. I think this will be an unpopular opinion and I will harp on it in season four. But I hate these creatures being kept in captivity in these conditions. Yeah, it's no wonder they're pissed off honestly like they're deadly predators i understand that but so are lions and i don't like this let him out let him be free give him an appropriate enclosure at least for sure like zoo tycoon this shit up like get him like some enrichment items (laughs) some rocks maybe a pond full of not water i don't whatever they drink (laughs) yeah like they need he's he's in a cell like 
I hate watching this. I hate it. I know. It. it makes me sad for him. For a demogorgon. Like, yes, we're sympathizing with a demogorgon. But he's just me. an animal. He is. He doesn't know what's going on. He's just here. He's just hungry. Fed. Literally, you're taking advantage. I know. And he also looks smaller than he does in season four, which he is... Grew. Yeah, he grew. Yeah, he grew from all the prisoners he was eating. So I guess mm. that's good. Um, and when he emerges, the upside down begins to play. A great note to close on. It really is. All right. That's all we got for part two of That's battle all. that is all all two hours of it so we did it we're, we're skipping lvp and mvp this time right yeah none of that we can't award that no it the, yeah this episode won't have an mvp and lvp just because it's impossible it's impossible and no, it's not fair to anyone no no so no mvp and lvp we're keeping it you know quote unquote short and sweet <laughs> yeah yeah and don't turn this off yet we have a surprise we do so that's all we that's are all, folks wow we wrapped up season three we're doing our little wrap up for you next week and uh till next time everybody stay strange and sad jesus <laughs> something i've been wanting to talk to you both about i know this is a difficult conversation but i care about you both very much and I know that you care about each other very much, and that's why it's important that we set these boundaries moving forward so we can build an environment where we all feel comfortable, trusted, and open to sharing our feelings. even were. I've been stuck in one place, in a cave, you might say, a deep, dark cave. And then I left some egos out in the woods and you came into my life and for the first time in a long time, I started to feel things again. I started to feel happy. Lately, I guess I've been feeling distant from you. Like you're, you're pulling away from me or something. I miss playing board games every night. Making triple-decker ego extravaganzas at sunrise, watching westerns together before we doze off. But I know you're getting older, growing changing and I guess if I'm being really honest that's what scares me I don't want things to change and so I think maybe that's why I came in here to try to maybe stop that change to turn back the clock to make things go 
back to how they were. But I know that's naive. It's just not how life works. It's moving, always moving, whether you like it or not. And yeah, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's sad. And sometimes it's surprising, happy. So you know what? Keep on growing up, kid. Don't let me stop you. Make mistakes, learn from them. And when life hurts you, because it will, remember the hurt. The hurt is good. It means you're out of that cave. But please, if you don't mind, for the sake of your poor old dad, keep the door open three inches. <laughs> I, I won't be king And you Above our heads 